what we are trying to do is to provide a framework where any decision taken either by the system, so any advice given by the system or decision made by a recruiter using that system can be explained. On today's show, we're talking to Alice. She's the head of engineering at Head Start, who returned to the podcast after their last appearance about two years ago. This is Tech Talks, your twice-weekly technology podcast featuring interviews with tech leaders and the latest tech news. If you're interested in technology, this is the show for you. Back by... I don't know whether it's popular demand or not, Jack. I mean, people... people, Tech Talks and Jack Pierce, it's synonymous, right? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely backed by popular demand from what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you, David. Yourself? Yeah, good. Before we get into today's conversation with Alla at Head Start, uh, there's, there's four things that we could talk about. There's the fake over, there's the coronavirus causing contagion and outbreak to chart on Apple, there's mm. Brexit Eve, and there's National Croissant Day, which feels just as pertinent. Um, I like I, I like the issue. I like the coronavirus. I, I think that's like, I like kind of <laughs> epidemics. No, but you know, epidemics are always fun. I found out, I, I was talking to a guy the other day who got swine flu, like, oh, people actually got this shit? But yeah, no, it's it's scary. And it's also it making a scary. lot of people very racist. And really, and this, look, here's a tenuous link, feeds into one pe- people's, um, uh, what's it, the bias, you know? Bias, yeah, that's true. That's true. I, wouldn't that I, I wouldn't say that I like an outbreak however i do find it hilarious that people have obviously gone and decided that this is a wonderful trigger for them to watch films like contagion and yep. outbreak it was in the guardian today that uh, they'd re-entered the charts wow <laughs> you know oh, my, my... oh people are dying due to oh right okay let's watch a fictional film where people die my favorite one is 20 28 days later though as far as like outbreaks go i think I'm that's really still hoping, my favorite yeah but i'm really hoping that you know coronavirus doesn't morph into rage that's true. That would be bad. But yeah, like uh, get it figured bad. out quickly, guys, because it's another one we've got to deal with. Who was I talking to? There was someone I was. I was Ali. I was talking to. He was like, "Have you seen? Have you seen Dawn of the Dead?" I was like, "I think that's a bit of a stretch." Yeah, uh, that's zombies, okay. right? Yeah, exactly. Well, so is Twenty Eight Days Later. Yeah, but they're like monk. They're not. They're just like primate, aren't they? They just get. They're not real zombie zombies. But I suppose there's not a lot of difference, right? They eat people. Mm. What's the definition of a zombie? Well, a cannibal isn't a zombie, Dave. Okay, fine. Yeah, that's fair. No, but come on. <laughs> anyway, I the bias point was good. Good, tenuous, not so tenuous link. Um, sure. I think with that, we should we should lurch seamlessly into the interview. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alan, the head of engineering, is our guest this week. We are talking about bias in the hiring process. Uh, really interesting interview. Stick with us. Myself and Jack will be back afterwards with some commentary, some sensible commentary, and <laughs> some technology news later on in the show. So today we're talking to Ala from Head Start. Ala, you're the head of engineering. I am, yes. Thank you for coming in and talking to us, especially given that you've got your Christmas party starting soon. Yes, in just about an hour and a half. <laughs> How are you feeling? Excited, hungry. Yeah. yeah, and you're going to Swingers, which is the, if anyone's not familiar with it, it's, it's mini golf, effectively. Yes, we are. It's my second time. I remember enjoying it last time. That's about as much as I remember. Bit of, bit of a mini golf shark or... 
Uh, no, not really, no. I no. play tennis, so I'm the most terrible golf player in the world. Is That's that a correlation? That you can't be good at both? Uh, I think my, my tennis coach claims you can, <laughs> but I haven't seen him play, maybe for a reason. Fair enough. Look, so um, you've been at Head Start for, what, three months, roughly? Uh, two, probably, yeah. Right. So fairly new to the business. Yeah. Funnily enough, we had Head Start on the podcast about two years ago, so... Interesting to come back to the business and see maybe a little bit how it's changing what you guys are working on right now. But I suppose the, the, the first point to start with would be why have you joined Head Start? Because that might offer a nice opportunity for you to say what Head Start are up to right now. I think Head Start is um, entering the recruitment field from the perspective of reducing bias and mm-hmm. making the playground much, much fair to applicants for using technology and machine learning in some parts of it. But the vision right now is to revolutionize work in general. So change the way people work, the, the way people see work as part of their life. So that's the vision of our current CTO, C, CEO, Gareth. Um, as part of this, uh, somewhere mid-year, towards the beginning of la- uh, this year, mm. we not only changed the direction of the business, changing Head Start from a marketplace of applicants to a more enterprise solution. We changed the way we work completely. We have gone fully remote, Mm -hmm. we have gone fully flexible, and we have adopted an ethos where we treat each other, our superiors, our peers, and our reports as adults. And we give them anything you would give to an adult to lead their life at work. So when you say that you've switched from um, a marketplace of candidates to a enterprise solution, I think when we spoke to Nick a couple of years ago, there was an element of going in and working with HR to try and improve their processes. What what solutions are you specifically talking about? What, what's Head Start offering to the market? So currently, Head Start is offering a recruitment platform mm. for companies with a big enough workforce mm. currently, and also a big enough recruitment pipeline that we could leverage machine learning and data science to offer them advice on how to improve fairness. Where do you see bias and I mean I've got to phrase this right because bias enters the, the recruitment industry from everywhere. If you're dealing with a recruitment consultant, if you're dealing with an internal recruiting team, if you're dealing with a hiring manager, there's bias in all of those points of the process, right? In all of the life cycle. But what areas do you think you can make the most impact in? I think we're making the most uh, impact in reducing bias from person to person. Mm. So we're reducing the inequality that results from there being different people involved in hiring any single person. So for example, if the uh, recruiter doing an initial screen had a screaming baby Uh, keeping them awake for most of the week and then someone step on their foot on the tube they might deny the candidate the opportunity to proceed further just because of how they feel in that initial process if there's a hiring manager who has a team which has too many young people and they see some of the downsides of having a young workforce they might be biased towards younger people in the hiring process, Mm. both openly and without realizing that they have that bias. When you use data about many, many individuals, 
both candidates and existing employees to see how they compare against each other, you're not treating any single one of them unfairly. Hmm. That doesn't mean that we're eliminating bias completely. There's no such thing as machine learning or data science or AI, if you were to use that term, without bias, because it is still made by humans. So, so, sorry, so how does, the, how does the tool actually work? What does the tool look like if you are a client who is making a hire? Okay, so we provide uh, clients a platform mm -hmm. to advertise their roles, to link their other recruitment efforts to that platform, to, to the role on our platform, and allow them to source candidates into a big pool. From there on, it works the same way it worked at Head Start from the very beginning, but in the limits of a single company. So, for example, if you want to apply for a role at Accenture, mm. you would submit your application through Accenture's area on Head Start, and it would go into the pool of all people applying for roles at Accenture. And we would then match your profile to both the requirements that the client provided and the history of past successes within the company. Is there a... <laughs> This might be really stupid, but if you're kind of comparing it to past successes, surely that's narrowing the field slightly too, because it's kind of saying these people are successful and others aren't. We're not uh, putting labels on people. So unlike some other solutions, we're not saying that candidate is a very good candidate. Mm. What we're providing is a match score to the criteria that have been set. Okay. So if you said, I want candidates with experience in this specific industry we will tell you how big of a match they are. For example, if they've had 20 years of experience in several companies, all in the same industry, that means they match you pretty well on your industry requirements. When you say that it's AI powered? It is not. No? Okay. AI is a very woolly term. and So how would you describe it? Would you say it's machine learning or not? Part of it is machine learning. So some of the approaches we use are come from models that have been trained on um, big amounts of on big uh, data sets. But what's, what's the reaction from clients then when it's like, right, we're going to use some machine learning? Are they excited because it sounds sexy and cutting edge and it's going to help their business? Or is there a bit of nerves and a lack of understanding? The clients are very, very cautious. Right. And uh, this is where we explain how we use machine learning. So we don't use it directly in the live system we use it to to feed our data science competence in the field and come up with simpler algorithmic models to match candidates to a company's requirements mm. what we're striving for here is explainability so we're huge fans of explainability of any tech decisions. So recently there has been a lot of demonizing algorithmic and uh, machine learning and simpler software solutions in recruitment and decision making, even in finance, for example, the famous case of uh, David Heinemann Hansen's wife being given half of his credit limit, although they earn the same and have joint bank accounts. So what we are trying to do is to provide a framework where any decision taken either by the system, 
So any advice given by the system or decision made by a recruiter using that system can be explained to a very granular level of detail. So if a candidate were to come back to say Accenture and say, hey, I thought I was a perfect match for that role. Why did, you not, why did we not proceed beyond the initial stage? Mm -hmm. We can come back and oh, say, yeah. this is why, this is why, this is why, and this is why. Yeah, look, I mean, before running the podcast full time and doing what I do now, obviously I was a recruiter. And <laughs> you, you will have situations where for certain jobs, you might have hundreds of applications and you pick, I would pick on a gut feeling. Yeah, I, I will happily admit that I did what six hundred placements, and after a while, you kind of go these three, and it is hard to explain exactly why. Yes, I don't necessarily think that's always a bad thing, but I can understand how obviously it's impossible for me to act without some bias. Yes, but why do you think AI is then demonised? Is it because the recruitment industry sees it as a threat, or is there something else going on? I think it's demonized because of lack of transparency. So both um, companies and candidates and the wider community who are not necessarily involved in recruitment decisions or and who are not applicants in um, recruitment processes driven by technology, they don't understand what is going on, how decisions are made. So every time a wrong decision is made, yes. it is blamed on the software. That's hilarious, isn't it? Because you look at a human with experience, and me sitting there going, well, I've done lots of placements, so I kind of understand what I'm doing. I can't explain it, but somehow that feels transparent when it's really not. Yes. Versus a system that uses data to make decisions that surely is transparent by its very nature, even if you can't see the workings. You can't see the workings of my brain. Yes. You, you can, although, talk to you and ask you to explain right. some of these decisions. It's much harder unless you build explainability into data science and machine learning systems from the very beginning. So it's that humanizing factor that it's lacking that makes people naturally dis distrust it, perhaps? It is probably the lack of understanding. So we've been, um, we've been interacting with humans for thousands of years mm. as a species. We haven't been interacting with what is referred to as AI for that long. And people tend to have a fear of what they don't understand. Of course. So people still, including myself sometimes, have fear of flying. Why? Because it's much harder to understand how a plane stays in the air and when it falls down and when it doesn't fall down mm. than to understand how um, Southwest Train's train carriage stays on uh, the track and although it might not be quite as safe as as a standard plane right now probably not right now no <laughs> <laughs> this flipping month of strikes anyway uh, yeah um no i think i think it's a it's an interesting point i i suppose the thing that i'd ask is how then as a head of engineering do you build a product that builds trust in your customers because if that's the thing that you're trying to that's the thing that's going to basically be the success of Head Start or not, right? Yes. If, if someone trusts your product and that means helping them understand how it works and you're fighting against millennia of human understanding and human evolution when mm -hmm. you're doing that. Yeah. So what we want to do is to be sure that we can give a reasonably deep explanation of any process and any decision that has taken place on the platform. So every time we build something, we try to think, what if 
a candidate or one of our clients' employees comes to us and says, why has this happened? Can you please explain to me how that result came to be? Then we have all the data in place and all the mechanisms in place to explain where it's coming from mm. to a, as much as we can do because the data that we're working on is obviously as it is so the data provided by candidates themselves on their CVs is biased it's biased in a different direction it's biased towards the candidate saying hey I'm I've been in the industry for two years I'm principal developer mm. but it is still not perfect so it's not objective reality but we explain it to where we can explain it and we never hide anything. So much of the problem with machine learning and AI and their perception in the industry right now is proprietary algorithms mm. and um, vendors refusing to disclose any details about the, these algorithms. And as humans, we tend to think if you're if you're not open about this you must be hiding something if you're hiding something there must be a reason for it yeah, it's probably that something bad is going on there out of interest how much of joining head start is fueled by personal frustration at, at the current process uh, not as much as my interest in the direction that data science and machine learning is taken mm -hmm. but uh, obviously, as someone coming from, uh, an, call it northern or eastern European country, uh, as a woman, as someone not very old, I have faced a lot of bias myself. Mm. And uh, I'm looking at it from a different perspective now, but I do wish that a solution like that was available when I was making my first steps in the industry. So you are head of engineering? Yes. What's top of your inbox now that you're in situ? Okay, so top of the inbox is definitely explainability. So more and more and more uh, data, not used by us, but created by us. So mm. we want to actually create some data that we can analyze and that we can perhaps partner with academia on and that we can show to the recruitment world and say, hey, we have some insights here. How about you look at this and make the world a better place? And some of it we already have in our analytics. So we show companies some trends about, say, drop off in certain stages by gender or by ethnicity. What we want to do in the upcoming years is to scale the platform to make an impact on global recruitment in general and not just recruitment within larger organizations. Mm. So the reason we work with large clients now is not financial. Uh, the reason is absolutely technical and scientific. We cannot learn anything from small amounts of data. Mm. So this is just a statistical truth. You can't, you can't make reasonable predictions. You can't make reasonable judgment from small data samples. So we need bigger data samples. But as we collect that data, leave the data itself with the clients, but as we learn and incorporate learnings into the platform, we're hoping to change recruitment globally. Well, look, I think it's a fantastic mission. Um, 
and you know one that I can understand from a personal perspective uh, so I wish you the very best of luck in that new role and I wish you the best of luck tonight at mini golf thank you <laughs> Where should we start? <laughs> I know where to start. I know where to start. You oh, use then. your unconscious bias when you're a recruiter and your knack for finding <laughs> it. Who do you think you are? It is awful. Like, it wasn't available though, right, Dave? Come on, I'll, I'll throw no, you the bone. No, no, right. You're, you're a manager now, uh, <laughs> so you might have some insight on it. Have you hired anyone yet? In the process at the moment. Okay, so when I first started hiring people, um, and it's probably a good thing that I don't hire anyone anymore. I've got Ryder, that's enough. Um, <laughs> I, I I did in the early days kind of go, well, I can do this job, so let's try and find someone who's got a similar skill set to me. And I used to look at people Absolutely. who've gone to, to Essex University, or I used to look, I used to kind of think, oh, well, you know, because I got involved in sports and societies at university, I was good at making friends, therefore kind of sales. And I used to look for people who did kind of like extracurricular activities. And I I don't think it was a negative thing necessarily. Well, certainly it wasn't done from um, a negative place. It was done from a sense of, oh, well, they're, they're good traits because I can see how they help me, so they would help someone else. Mm. But it is inherently biased and discounts a lot of other potentially good candidates. I, I mean, you're so right. And, I mean, it's recruiting's hard, right? It is hard. So following your gut is the most natural thing to do and you know everyone is guilty of trying to find themselves in someone that they're looking to hire because we all think we're the best at the job so that's only natural but if if you know if we're in a position where we can talk about having cold hard data to replace that and it's kind of like the unsexiest sexy thing there can be in the whole like rejigging of recruitment like or not reducing people to numbers, but to data sets, to eliminate bias, or, you know, as go as far as eliminating bias as possible. Is what, pre- thing, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. What, one thing we don't talk about in the interview, actually, and occurs to me on, on listening back to it, is I've been in the position as well where someone doesn't work out and they, they exit the business. Mm. Um, and you kind of look back at the interview process and you go, I, I don't get it. We did everything that we could. We... You know, we, we X many different people met them. We all agreed. We thought they'd be a good fit. Why didn't they work out? And you have that, you have that real sense of self doubt. You know, mm. you, your gut feeling that guides you through the the interview process then is massively called into question. And right. actually, I think if data was used in the hiring process, people might go, "Oh, well, you know, data. No, no, no. I I don't know whether this is a good thing for whatever reason." But actually, when you get to the other side and you've got someone leaving the business and and you failed effectively mm. in the hiring process, mm. it would be really comforting to have that data and to better understand the choices that you made. Absolutely. I mean, you know, there's like a big thing that's not considered is like life can change pretty quickly and people's expectations can too. And data won't incorporate those kind of decisions always. But if you can have that as a source of feedback, um, like, like you say, then it's only going to improve the way you look at candidates from the get-go. Oh, mm. You now, but you did look at candidates from the get-go. So, I mean... Re- and I think that the problem in recruitment is like a lot of recruitment companies don't invest in the right tools to help their recruiters. Like they see the recruiters as those people that should just be doing it. Like yeah. you're and, the recruiter, that's your skill set. But, you know, give, we're, we're give talking, them the tools. We're talking, we're talking about the recruitment industry there and they are professionals. <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Uh, no, they, yeah. <laughs> they are professionals who do this on a regular basis. Sure. Versus you know, the, the tool being used by a first time hiring manager or yeah. someone who, who isn't used to hiring people. And it's something that they don't necessarily 
have it, have, they haven't invested lots of time in, in interviewing people, etc. I love I love that she makes the point that you can't remove bias completely. It's no. good that she acknowledges that, and people should acknowledge that. You know, um, AI and algorithms are not the 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 silver bullet. Mm. Um, but I also love the fact that she talks about the ability to try and limit the impact of person-to-person bias at different stages in the process. I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I mean, to, to try and reduce the inequality and then being different and stuff like that, like, it's hard. It's a hard job, man. Like, the, the example she gave as well were, like, so bang on the money, and you just think reducing bias from person but you can sit for all the training you want and, and watch all the videos you want, but that's not going to eliminate your bias. You know, even even when you know it's wrong, it's in, impossible to eliminate your bias completely. So, to, yeah, to acknowledge that and then to try and redress that is, yeah, it's great. Um, what else did I think was was interesting? There was, oh, of course, yes, when she was talking about gut feeling, going back on that slightly, mm. uh, when she's talking about the fact, okay, so explainability, that lack of understanding, yeah. why we don't trust something. I think that that uh, an analogy that she gives us, you know, um, we fear what we don't understand. We've often heard that, but saying, you know, people are irrationally scared of flying because they don't understand how the plane is in the sky, but they do understand how a train is on train tracks, even though actually the train is the more dangerous mode of transport. I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Of course, I ve- I do vaguely understand uh, how flight works um, with lift, etc. But sometimes when I'm sitting on an Airbus A830 or whatever they are, the really big ones, you do sure. kind of go, how is this, God knows how many tons, tens of tons, hundreds mm. of tons, bit of metal, 32,000 feet up in the air? Yeah, that's <laughs> Yeah, well, what do I say to that? Like, read about how aeroplanes work to settle your. But it's, 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 a, it's a really good point, isn't it? Explainability, yeah, how yeah, important absolutely. that is, and, and but, that when we talk, when we skip, we've we've often talked about people are scared of AI. Why are they scared of AI? Because they don't understand it. And explainability is a really good concept. That explainability is great, but it sounds just like people want Microsoft Sam walking or the not Microsoft the the clip. What was the clip? The clip. Clip, um, oh, the paperclip. What was his name? Did he have an actual name, the paperclip? Oh, no, or just I don't was know, he? I don't know. But like people need and want something like that, but like a human part of that to guide them through and explain the process. And until we all change and stop being so soft to that, it's it's going to be hard. Yeah, yeah. Anything else to Clippy. add, Jack? Clippy. I think his name was Clippy. Okay, good. Clip. Um, I think we'll go to our advert break uh, on on Clippy. Uh, bit of bit of nostalgia, um, but we we will be back in just a, about thirty five seconds with some of the best tech news we've ever had on Tech Talks. You do so yourself. Once a month, Tech Talks opens the Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, we've got a bit of tech news uh, that's from a very trusted trusted source, trusted media. It's from the Tech Talks website. It's written by me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
no on a serious note if, if you're interested i've written about something it's also been written about by uh the telegraph the guardian the bbc cnn ft city am so equally so you're just gonna put yourself on the same pedestal as, the, as them lot because hey look not everyone have so whatever exactly uh, yeah, yeah. Look, you can go and read some better sources and probably some better opinion pieces on this than, than I have written. However, uh, Dot Everyone invited myself and silent producer Ryder along to a press briefing yesterday at the House of Lords about their report, uh, Better Work in the Gig Economy. And it's it's a really interesting report, actually, because it talks about um, the effects uh, on dreams on dignity on financial stability around uh gig workers so uh uber drivers delivery riders and more you know cleaners handymen etc but the platform services economy um and actually are we thinking about how to best protect those employees or those workers of which of course at the minute we're not uh, i mean it's crazy i mean reading some of that especially what you put like there's not the gig minimum wage isn't the same as the national minimum wage. Like we're talking about coming from a, a dignity point of view or whatever. And that just says that the, the bar is so low for people that work in the gig economy. Like that doesn't even put them at, at the minimum wage. Like that's a borrow. Like that's just, that's just uh, my note on that day was capital letters, bold madness. So I think if that doesn't, sum it up better than anything else i don't know what will but but then that that then feeds into this they don't feel like real humans you know they don't feel like mm. real employees and when and i know it's probably not gonna happen here like uber going down the driverless car route and things like that but no, it, will, it will eventually but the, let's face it but the flirtation with that even now would make you feel isolated and less human you know that your job is already up for grabs from a robot like that's not going to help the situation so I, I, I do think it, there needs to be. I do think there needs to be an acceptance that automation is going to happen, and yeah. Uber aren't going to retrain everybody. Like, no, 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 let's, no. Get, let's get real. Like, that's true. The the, 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 the onus, whether or not you think it should be on Uber to help retrain their employees, it's it's not, uh, and they will view it as a business, and they won't. The, why would they retrain people at yeah. a huge cost to them into jobs that they don't necessarily need to employ? They're not going to do it. No. So that needs that structure needs to come from somewhere else. And it is necessary because otherwise we're going to end up with, again, a whole host of people who don't understand why they're being left behind by the economy, that are frustrated, that will lead us to um, increasingly volatile political outcomes um, mm. without wanting to get too kind of on the Brexit Eve thing. But, you know, that, that, is, that is essentially what's going on with society. People feel disenfranchised. They feel disenfranchised. And it's, you can stem it back to things like coal mines shutting down. If you look at the results yeah. of the last election and what happened in Northern, Northern England, that stems back to the 1980s and successive governments' inability to, to meet the needs of the fact that there are a lot of deprived communities there without job prospects. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's on Uber to... Well, look, it's it's on a business. It's to be some responsibility. If they give them a career path, if they want yeah. those people to be in their business long term, but we're not talking about someone that they see on a career path here. They're talking about commodities as far as they see people, and you know you can't on one hand go free market economics and then go oh but but no but businesses can't act in that way. Businesses That's should really. be responsible, but there's a difference between responsibility and acting against their own self interests. Yeah, I mean. 
the easiest thing to do is treat these people like humans, right? That's that's yeah, all they a- want. Absolutely. And giving them a voice, which is absolutely brilliantly articulated in this report. You know, if you if you used to work for a taxi company, you had a dispatcher and a dispatcher you could talk to and you had grievances, you were weren't happy about working conditions, you could talk to someone. Mm. Um, you could talk to a supervisor. Now it's an algorithm. So people feel um distant already from the business that they're working for they don't feel that that, that there's anyone that they can talk to so instead of having that dialogue that leads to conflict resolution they just Mm. go fuck it and strike um and i you know but it's a serious point it's 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 a it's an interesting dynamic that i hadn't considered till yesterday and, and actually makes perfect sense yeah no absolutely and you know it's because these people are people. They're, they're, they, it's going to reach a breaking point soon, and everyone yeah. is so reliant on the gig economy now. Like, I, Rosie's out this evening. What am I going to do, Dave? I'm going to order some food, and it's going to be delivered yeah. by someone that works in the gig economy. And yeah. as I have learned tonight, and look, I'm not going to be, I'm, 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 I'm not a dickhead. I do this anyway, generally, because I, I have a theory that this method of helping this crisis gets my food here faster. But yeah, I, I tip, and, and if it's yeah. easier to like begin that process and like how ev- everyone can help then yeah chuck a 15 20 tip on there if you can there yeah there are there are three recommendations for business and government in the report that are fantastic but one thing that came out of the press briefing yesterday during the discussion afterwards one of the panelists said i can't remember who unfortunately they said one thing we can all do that makes a huge difference to the way that these people feel who work in the in, in the gig economy we can tip yep. and we can just make them feel a little bit more valued and yeah. I think, you know, for, like you say, for the sake of 10, 15%, you know, it's it's two, three pounds, mm. um, maybe even less. That makes a big difference. And I, I jumped in a black cab even. I know it's not quite the same, but I jumped in a black cab mm. um, the other day and I tipped 15% when I would normally probably tip 10%. And the, and the cabbie turned around and was like, oh, thank you. And, exactly. and that was nice. That and it cost nice. me an extra, I don't know, 30p. Look at you. Well, no, I just mean we... we these small well, yeah. actually do mean a lot to people, don't I they? Mean, come on, just, people should tip anyway, man. I mean, I know not everyone can afford to or whatever, but every what does it Tesco say, Dave? Every little helps, doesn't it? Yeah, plug for Tesco there. Yeah, <laughs> bleep that out, Ryder. Uh, right, so uh, this is going out tomorrow. One one quick thing. It's cool. the Tuck Shop at one o'clock. Jack's unfortunately not joining us. You are joining us in February, though. Uh, the cool. Tuck Shop is going out at one o'clock today if you're listening on friday morning uh and it's deadline day and uh if newcastle united aren't the richest club in the world by saturday morning hang on i'm not interested i've heard this before (laughs) have i heard newcastle take over rumors before yes i have uh okay oh it's all bullshit we know it's bullshit but yeah uh a boy can dream all right um on that note thanks for joining us jack my pleasure